0: Welcome to the fourth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Robert Lee. Robert is a lyricist and librettist whose original musicals with Leon Co. include Heading East. Chinese Hell, and an adaptation of Please Don't Eat the Daisies. Their musical Takeaway opened in 2011 at London's Theatre Royal Stratford East, and he created Alice Chan, a play for young audiences written with B.D. Wong for La Jolla Playhouse. Robert is an alum of Princeton University and the Graduate Musical Theatre Writing Program at NYU, where he is a member of the faculty. He also co-developed and led Stratford East Musical Theatre Writing Workshop for 18 years. We're going to talk today about writing artist characters in musical theater. Hey, Robert, I am so excited to have you on the podcast.
1: Super, super excited here as well.
0: Great. Well, we will get started as we do with our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical?
1: Uh, I can't remember like the first musical that I watched, like if it was a film or I remember a few things that I watched as a kid on TV, but um, I would say like I'm interpreting it as meaning the first stage musical, that's easier, uh, which was a production of The Sound of Music that was done at, um, I think it might've been Pomona College. It was one of the Claremont Colleges um, in Southern California, uh, which is where I grew up. And my memories of it, I remember two things about it. Number one, I went to see it because a family friend who um, was just a little bit older than I was, I can't remember what year this would have been, but I was still quite young. Um, a family friend who was taking piano lessons from my piano teacher um, and who was Chinese American um, was playing, I think, Brigitta. And in retrospect, that was a big deal like I, I until I started thinking about this question actually I had never made the connection but that was probably it was the first musical I ever saw on stage and also it's interesting that it's also the first time that I saw somebody who uh you know was was Asian American on stage so I think that that's kind of interesting now that I think about it
0: um uh, which musical has had the greatest impact on you
1: yeah this is a tough tough question and uh, like, I'll just, I'll just, I'll do three quick ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause these are the ones I remember. Um, uh, Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly was, a, I believe the first musical that I actually performed in in high school.
0: That was um, my, sorry to interrupt, but that was my first high school musical that I was in.
1: Oh, really? Who did you, do, were you was, in the I mean, chorus or the lead? I,
0: I was okay. in the chorus. I was, you know, a freshman. So not, <laughs> okay. you know, not that that matters, but yeah. Yeah. That's
1: cool. I was Rudolph. I was uh, Rudolph the um the head waiter <laughs> in a ridiculous attempt at a German accent. Right,
2: <laughs> right, right.
1: But um, but yeah, so that was the first one. Um and, and probably the 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 musical that really initially made me fall in love with musicals. Mm-hmm. Um uh and then the next one is Sunday in the park with George, which I would say is the thing that is the musical that um made me begin to think that musical theater might be something that was worth pursuing. But probably the one that was the most influential, I would say, when I look at what I do as an artist, was Into the Woods, um, which was the first. So I got really into Sunday in the Park with George and then I went and like bought up uh, in Southern California. This was not easy, but I bought up every like Sondheim cast recording that I could um, and then went into the woods, um, opened. I was so excited because it was the first new Sondheim musical, you know, Mm -hmm. since, since, um, uh, since Sunday in the park. Um, And so that's probably one of the reasons that I really connected with it. Um, And it's, you know, it's, it's a show that I realized in a weird way I'm constantly trying to recreate.
0: Let's see. What is a musical people might be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised?
1: Bells are ringing. I think it's because a lot of people just think of bells are ringing as uh, a light romantic comedy. Um, and I, I, don't think, I don't think anybody, um, has ever been surprised in terms of the craft of it, but I think, um, I sense that people are surprised because it seems like a show that's not particularly ambitious artistically. Um, and I guess the, the reason that I love it, number one, I, I actually, I actually do think it's probably the best, um, one of the best romantic comedies Mm -hmm. that I think have been written for the stage. Um, I I love the warmth of it. You know, I love the sense of humor. I love the fact that it's um, a New York musical Mm -hmm. um, uh, filled with just the quirky sorts of people that you would find in New York, like the dentist who composes things on the air hose. (laughs) Um, uh, But as I've gotten older I realized I think that the thing that is the most attractive to me it's also interesting because today when you look at it because it is a musical that's built around it's a contemporary musical book musical which which I think is is um before its time it was a contemporary musical um which I also think contemporary book musicals are very very hard to pull off um because there's the there's the risk that they will feel very ordinary Right, as opposed to something that's a historical piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to think about um, just the fact that bells are ringing revolves around answering services, right? Right, which were new. So, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting show in that it was dealing with something that was um, like up to date technology, and like the right. entire show, right? Uh, you know, flows from the complications, you know, of, of that new technology. So, I think that makes it feel very relevant today. I think for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the main character, as I've gotten older, I realize that one of the reasons I love that show is that I connect so much with that main character. And um, I think specifically uh, as a Chinese-American um, person who's a, a child of immigrants, I think that the idea, when I think of Ella, who's the, the protagonist, when I think of her as a person who um, uh, uh, is very shy, is a person who um, has this... Desperate need to help people, but also uh, this um, both a both a need to keep a low profile and to be anonymous because of her job, because she could get fired if she isn't. But also that that's um, the shyness is 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 part of what her personality is. You know, so this idea of being somebody who feels the constraints of the workplace and of society, but who has this desperate need to want to help people. Um, I think I really related to that, you know, and the lengths that she'll go to in order to try to help people. And the fact that she has a happy ending at the end of it without having to betray, you know, a, 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 you know any of um, uh, those qualities, um, I think really appeals to me.
0: What is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of?
1: A musical called Serenade, which was produced in New York in 2007 by a theater company called Gerardoa with music by Nils Olaf Dalvin and book and lyrics by Rachel Schenken, both fellow alumni of the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at Tisch, where Rachel and I are both currently on the faculty. Most people who have been following musical theater in the U.S. probably know Rachel from her work as a book writer on the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, for which she won a Tony, um, and also from her work with Groove Lily, Uh, particularly on a show called Striking 12. Rachel is also an extraordinary lyricist, and her work on uh, Serenade is really exceptional, uh, as is Nils's music. The story is about a young artist who comes to the big city in search of adventure, fame, and fortune, and instead uh, learns some uh, sobering lessons, as one does, about love and loss. The show uh, was inspired by the work of an influential Norwegian novelist named Knut Thompson, whose name I probably just butchered, who was an early proponent of uh, subjectivism, which is the belief that no objective truth exists, and that the only truth that matters is the truth that can be found in what he called selfless subjectivity. And so what Rachel and Nils set out to do was to create a score where the protagonist's inner life is reflected primarily through songs about or sung by the characters around him. You can think of it as an expressionist musical where it's the portrayal of the main character's environment rather than his inner monologue that is the key to understanding his emotional journey. It was very moving, uh, very, very funny, and quite unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Um, And I think it's still really quite ahead of its time, and, and I'm just waiting for the public to, frankly, catch up to it.
0: What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to?
1: The scene in the movie theater towards the end of Pennies from Heaven. Uh, This is the 1981 film version directed by Herbert Ross, which is based on the BBC series, um, both of which were written by Dennis Potter. The scene happens as the character is at his lowest point, having abandoned his wife and become a fugitive of the law after he's suspected of a brutal murder. At this point, he and his lover, played by Bernadette Peters, escape into a movie theater to watch a Fred Astaire-Ginger Rogers film, Follow the Fleet. As Fred and Ginger sing Let's Face the Music and Dance, the two characters imagine themselves in the movie and were suddenly watching a recreation of the number with Steve Martin, as Fred Astaire, and Bernadette Peters as Ginger Rogers. The conceit of the film has been that instead of singing, the actors lip-sync to period recordings. And in this moment, it's clearly a fantasy, and a fake, and a desperate lie. But the thing is that Bernadette Peters and Steve Martin are amazing. In that moment, we're feeling both pity for the characters and the cheapness of their fantasy, but also completely stunned and transported by the virtuosity of these actors. We're thinking, how can something be so false and cheap, yet somehow so real and affecting? And you're not sure if the moment is pathetic or if it's a triumph. It messes with your head in the most incredible way. And it's a perfect example for me of what this form does at its best create a moment of truth out of something that is complete artifice. I can't get enough
2: of that kind of thing.
0: Cool, well, let's move on to our topic, which is writing artists in musical theater. Um, So yeah, uh, I guess our first question with this is- Uh,
1: Why do we care? (laughs) Maybe that's the question.
0: Maybe that's the problem. And Um, we're talking about artist characters from like visual arts to writers to, you know, anyone in the arts.
1: I remember I was telling you a story about, um, as I had mentioned earlier, Sunday in the Park with George was Mm -hmm. such an influential um, uh, part of my early life. and an uh, important part of your, about uh, important part of your life as well, mm-hmm. um, and I remember my partner um, and I were in London in uh, I actually looked up the date of this. I think it might have been two thousand five, um, and there was a revival um, of Sunday in the Park with George playing on the West End. Um, and Michael and I decided to go see it. I was, well, actually I decided to see it. I thought this is such an important show to me and I'm gonna drag my partner and I'm gonna, and, and he, it, my partner is a scientist. And so I thought, well, I'll show him this film and he'll understand everything about me as an artist. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and he'll be able to understand why this show is so powerful to me. So we're watching the film and, and um, we get to the end of the, sh- uh, sorry, we're watching the show
2: right. and we
1: get to the end of the show And um, I turned to him and I said, isn't that amazing? Isn't that the most amazing thing that you've ever seen? And he said to me, wait a minute. So let me understand what this show is saying. So this show is essentially saying that the way that George treats, treated Dot um, was okay. And she should understand because he had bigger things to accomplish artistically.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And, I was sort of silent. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, damn, I I <laughs> I can't argue with him. I like I can't I I mean I could tell him no that's not what it's about at all, but then I thought about the story and I thought, well, okay, I can completely see why he sees the show that way. And and the show has sad to say never been the same for me since. <laughs> um, but but what it did was it made me really ask that question you know of well how could this show be so speak so powerful to me so powerfully to me um and yet he was not able to see it at all right um and you know and i realized well I'm, it's obvious it's because i'm an artist and i'm watching the show that's about art and I, and that's all that i'm seeing in it and um yeah i mean it, it, like as i'm watching it i'm thinking to myself Oh yes, what a you know what a tough choice that George has between the thing that he loves doing and the thing that he has to do—the most important thing in his life—and the most important person in his life—and and the fact that you know that there is this tug of war and um, that it is so tragic, right? That he that there is this tug of war and that he can't reconcile the two, and then realizing, oh, I guess the thing is for people who are not artists—a lot of people who are not artists don't have that tug of war. Mm -hmm. It's very simple for them to say, oh, this person is the most important person in my life, period, right? Right? And it made me realize, wow, I'd been making, in in terms of my relationship to the show, I'd been making a whole lot of assumptions about the universality of the message. And so I think that that's where this conversation started, you know, with with, um, the two of us talking about um, the thing that is in a way the closest to all of us as artists um uh, musical theater writers is our art. Right. And yet there's so many pitfalls in writing about our own art.
0: Right.
2: Uh, you know,
1: and uh, right. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: I was going to say, and so, and so many writers do it successfully.
1: There's so many people that have shows in their trunks that are about being an artist. Right. I mean, it is one of the first things usually that people start to write in their lives. And a lot of those. And the reason why we don't know about most of those shows is that they they don't get produced like the ones that get produced are the ones for the most part, I think, that solve this problem. Right, Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that we're talking about writing about um, ourselves as artists, but I very much find that there are parallels with writing about myself as a Chinese American Mm -hmm. or writing about writing about anything that matters deeply to us particularly if we're people who are marginalized in some way.
0: I mean, using Sunday in the Park with George as an example, like for some, and I think that show can really go either way with people because there are some people who are not artists who love Mm -hmm. that show too. Mm -hmm. And, and yet on the other side, there are people who are not artists who do who don't relate to it at all because it's about an artist. So. Right. Right. but but for those people who love it who are an artist there are other there are other things in there or what, whatever it is that that um that that capture them um yeah. so yeah, it's yeah. the the question i guess of of what yeah what is it you know when you are writing about your, your an artist character or yourself as an artist what are some ways that that people can avoid, that shows have avoided those pitfalls. Right,
1: those pitfalls. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I think I think that um like it's maybe it's it's maybe it's maybe worth saying that that I naturally am a person who because I think that this is important to to acknowledge in in trying to answer that question, mm-hmm. that even though I'm an artist, <laughs> Yeah. And and even though I am an Asian American and a child of immigrants, um, I feel like I see way more pieces of theater um, or, you know, at at any level of development about these particular, these particular experiences that um, drive me up the wall you know, and so in terms of figuring out, well, how do people do it successfully? um, You know, I think it's also important to at least acknowledge, like, uh, what are the traps that people, people fall into, right? Like, um, like, I think that that um, uh, one of the things that um, I think happens oftentimes for me as an audience member is that when I see Shows that are about artists dealing with artist problems, um, artists' problems, I'll put those mm-hmm. in quotes. Um, they do tend to feel self-indulgent.
2: Yeah.
1: And and I find myself screaming at the characters. You know, if I'm if I'm watching a movie at home, I'll just be screaming at the screen and just saying, shut up, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> there are bigger problems in the world. Um right i mean uh, you know that 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 i that i can think of shows that i've seen where where it just seems like the characters are complaining or what have you or they seem incredibly privileged
2: mm-hmm.
1: um like i have a i have a, 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 I have a natural aversion i think to anything that's about um anything that's about uh the question of of whether one should sell out or not
0: oh yeah um like in because, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> um Well, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people you know love rent. Um, I, I will say yes. I mean, there is the question in my head as much as there is to admire in rent. Um, mm-hmm. I have to admit, as an audience member, it was hard for me to get beyond the idea that that a lot of these characters have jobs waiting for them. They're just choosing not to take those jobs.
0: Right. right? It's interesting. I just listened to a podcast about the idea of selling out and like where Mm that like how it um what like how it changed uh over time and how um like that that generation of uh generation x like the you know reality bites yeah 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 and and rent too um Mm -hmm. that that was such a bit like it that idea was very present for that specific time in that generation, Um, it was called, it's an episode of uh, Willa Paskin's Dakota Ring.
2: Yeah.
1: Interesting. I'll have have to listen to it because maybe, I mean, I am like classic generation X in (laughs) terms of my age. And I wonder if part of the, the roadblock in terms of watching Rent for the first time in the theater, for me was the fact that by that time in my life, I had been through that phase. I had been through the phase of, of, um, uh, you know, because I think in, in our youths as Gen X, yeah, that was a big thing. It's like, don't yeah. sell out. Don't sell out to, you know, don't sell sell out to corporate America or whatever.
0: Right. And how now it's more like if you, like you want to get these jobs and bring your artistry like to these jobs that, mm-hmm. that you get. Uh, I mean, well, it's true for everybody. And I yeah, don't know, yeah. that could be changing now for Generation Z or whatever. I don't know, but... Right. But I mean, even when I saw Rent and high school when I was in high school when it came mm-hmm. out, and I still felt that way. And I'm a millennial technically. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. So yeah. um, but it it does have that like very specific um yeah, uh what's the attitude toward yeah, towards selling out that that specific generational.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, like I'm thinking as we're discussing this, I'm thinking, you know, I graduated from college into a recession. And so I graduated into, into a very bad job marketplace. And, uh, and I, and rent opened um, not long after that. Um, And so, yeah. And so here I was coming, I was coming to rent feeling like, well I could have used one of those jobs that (laughs) I I could I certainly could have used one of those jobs that none of you want
0: (laughs) right Right. and um yeah I mean it's also interesting like you know it's just the whole history you know taken from law bohem and like yes yes that's how those characters in that time had a similar attitude (laughs) I guess well
1: yeah yeah and I guess the fact that um I mean you know one of the the tragedies is that jonathan larson um uh well i mean you know what happened to jonathan larson was a tragedy period but i think you know in addition to um to the obvious you know tragedy of of um you know of what happened to him i think is the fact that he was not that we don't have his perspective right like like, when like he when he passed away there was there was the success of the of the musical um, had not happened right. He never lived to see the success, and so because of that, he he we were never able to get his point of view ten years along. You know, ten years along, twenty years along. We were never even able to get his point of view on the show when it opened, right? And so and so, it's interesting as we're talking about this. I think to myself, well, Jonathan Larson was incredibly smart. I mean, he had to have been. We're talking about this as if, as in a way, as if we're saying, "Well, how could how could anybody have created a show without understanding there would be people like us who would who would um, who would who would have this reaction, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we're being unfair because because we were people like us were never able to ever ask him. <laughs> you know, are we actually meant to be thinking some of these things as we're looking at these characters?
3: Life, when real life's getting more like fiction each day. Headlines, lines, blow my mind, and now this deadline eviction or pay.
4: Rent! How do you write a song when the chords sound wrong? Though they once sounded right and rare, but the notes are sour.
1: shows that basically scream to the audience why do you not understand me right shows that are about misunderstood people
4: right. shows
1: that are about um uh uh i i mean again i understand the impulse to write shows that are that you know that are about how misunderstood one is
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but i think that i think that part of the problem i think part of the problem with a lot of shows that that come from that place, is that they is that they actually other the audience, mm-hmm. right? Um, that they are shows about they are shows about the creator's otherness, but in telling that story, they inadvertently other the audience. Yes. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I think that that's the that's the easy trap, right? Um, and I feel like the I feel like the shows that are successful are the ones that are smart enough to understand that there's no value in that, really.
2: Yeah,
0: um, or yeah, or just doesn't other the doesn't other the audience, and so it right. <laughs> brings the audience in.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: part of yeah. it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. the the other The other thing that I put down here was, um, which is another. I feel like it's another side.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not completely unrelated to the 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 sort of um, privilege that we're talking about, the inadvertent like um, revealing of privilege, right? Yeah. <laughs> and talking about being an artist. Um, you know, is is the other approach, which I think is a little condescending, you know, where where it's where shows are, where you have shows that are about artists and the whole purpose of the show seems to be to explain to the audience why what we do is so special. My feeling is, let me as the audience member decide that what you do is special. Mm. Like, don't tell me that what you do is special. Right, right, right. Like one of the shows that that um, that I bring up is a show called Me and Juliet, which a lot of right. people don't know, which is a Rogers and Hammerstein show. And um, I just I found this I found this um, description of the show that I just want to read, and this yeah. is something that Hammerstein um, uh, I believe wrote in a letter he says this is an original story about the theater i have tried to avoid all the clichés of backstage stories and to treat and to treat a theatrical troupe like a village community Uh, The play within a play is a hit and has been running for five months. And so there is no issue of whether it will be successful and no issue of whether any individuals will be successful. So this is a story merely concerning the relationships of the people in the company. All the scenes take place in and around the theater on the bare stage and on the stage set for the play that they are doing and up on the light bridge and in the house manager's office and in the stage door alley. So that's his description of it, of what he was trying to do in Me and Juliet look like Hammerstein, I think is one he was a genius. Right. He was a genius in terms of the way that he was able to question everything that came before him, right and and um uh, I think Sondheim has said that that hammerstein he believes Hammerstein's greatest legacy is um as an experimenter right, right? and and um and he was constantly thinking about what else can musical theater be. Um, and so as I'm reading that passage, I'm thinking to myself, I understand what he's getting at. I understand that what that, that what he's essentially saying is that the history of shows that are about theater have more or less been like um, babes in arms, right? It's like, you know, let's all put up a show in a barn. And mm-hmm. what I think is really interesting is let, let's write a show that avoids all of that. And it is just about what it is to work in a theater.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's something that's really great about that idea. Especially because like no one had done it before, yeah. But then it's but then you have to ask the question. So why is that that interesting, right? You know wh- why is that necessarily going to be an interesting musical <laughs> to people, right. right? And um and I think I was telling you about this that there's a song in the show, um and I say this with complete affection because, I, I, you know, I, I absolutely adore Hammerstein's work, um with Rogers, but there is a song in the show that's, that is called the big black giant, Mm -hmm. which if you listen to it is, um, is hard to get through for me
2: Um,
1: because the, the, the song, the scene is that there is an understudy and she is um, she is um, going through one of her numbers and uh, it's a little lifeless as a, as a, as a performance. And then, I think the assistant stage manager maybe is what the character is um or maybe he's the stage manager who's running the rehearsal sings the song about the big black giant to inspire okay. her and he says the big black giant is the audience every night and it's this long number that's about what an audience is in the same way as um people will will, will sort of chuckle affectionately at um this is a real nice clam bake right mm-hmm. where where you get like a whole recipe for how to how to um how to do a proper clam bake. Ooh. It's kind of the same thing, but it's about the audience, right? right. It's, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a laughing audience, sometimes it's a weeping audience, and sometimes it's this and you go out there and you do war with the audience.
4: The audience in a theater is changed every night As a show runs along on its way But to people on the stage The audience looks the same Every night, every matinee A big black giant Who looks and listens with thousands of eyes and ears. A big black mass of love and pity and troubles and hopes and fears. And every night the mixture's different, although it may look the same. Feel his way with every mixture is part of the actor's game.
1: And as a theater person, I relate to everything that that the character is saying. But there's also something about it that feels um, a little self-indulgent, that we're watching whatever it is, a three, four minute song that's just about what an audience is
0: it makes me think of actually the show title of show which Mm -hmm. i love but Mm -hmm. it is one of like it's a show about you know writing a show and submitting a show (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right Right. (laughs) when i first saw it i remember i took a friend who was not is not in the theater at all and she was like i could not get into this at all
2: (laughs) right right (laughs) Right.
0: yeah but that show is is very specifically for theater people, I think. Like
1: right, <laughs> right.
0: It also this all actually just raises the question for me of of it, what is interesting. Like right. what what is interesting? Like, I I don't know. I mean, we what what I find interesting to see on stage is gonna be different from what somebody else finds interesting to see on stage.
3: Yeah,
1: I find myself thinking. Of Sybil Pearson, right? You know, mm-hmm. who taught both of us. Um, I think about the fact that that Sybil used to tell all of the students, um, I know that you're burning to write this piece, you know, that is about that is about how you're feeling and all of the things you're wrestling with.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: but she used to say, Don't write that. Don't write that, don't write that now. Don't write that when you're at school because you're not ready to write that yet, mm-hmm. right? That that she would say, as long as you are as long as you are still dealing with um, whatever this source of damage is in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever this hole is inside of you. How can you make yourself, how can you write a piece that fills that hole?
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: In the world, when you can't even fill that hole inside yourself yet.
0: Right, right? And and it does make sense. I mean, Sunday, in the park going back to that show is something is is not specifically about Sondheim. So we, we wouldn't say that, but Mm -hmm. it's still something he wrote so much later in his Mm -hmm. life, in his career, in his life, Mm -hmm. you know, putting all that into putting all that feeling about being an artist into Mm -hmm. a piece. And it's a different piece than it would be if he was writing that piece you know, after, right, right after he graduated college, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Well, maybe, uh, um, you know, maybe I'm thinking about it. Maybe, I, maybe I was thinking about it in totally the wrong way. And the thing is that what happens to you when you get older is that you realize that, that those burning issues do not have a simple answer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And the, and that the goal is not to The goal is not to find the answer. Okay, let me put it another way. The goal is not to fill the hole inside of you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It is to make peace with the Mm (laughs) hole. Does that make sense? And and, and when you get older, that's what you start to understand. Like when I think about Sunday in the Park with George, Sunday in the Park with George does not answer the question.
0: Mm -hmm. It
1: doesn't answer the question of, of what george was supposed to do and what dot was supposed to do
0: yeah
1: right if anything the end of that show oh and maybe maybe i'm maybe maybe i'm like i'm finding my my way back to the show now Mm -hmm. um because what the show actually arguably is saying is that is a that is a uh that is a debate that's never going to be that you're never going to be able to um um win like that that's a dilemma you're never going to be able to solve right and the important thing is to acknowledge that you will never solve it and to move on Mm -hmm. right and to accept that that is a part of what it is to be alive right Mm -hmm. maybe (laughs) does that make sense
0: yeah Um, i mean yeah i was i was saying like yeah i mean it ends with the song move on so (laughs)
1: right right Right. And, and I think that people like, it, in a way, when I'm watching the show, the natural thing, because it's such a rapturous song, the mm-hmm. natural thing is to think, oh, okay, the problem's been solved. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm really thinking about it, no, no problem has been solved. You know, like, like George and Dot's relationship is never going to, it, it is what it is. What happened, happened. He's never going to have that time back. She's never going to have time back. And so it's almost senseless to say, well, who was right, who was wrong? Right, right. The important thing is to say, okay, let that be what it was. Move on.
0: Right. Yeah, it's interesting. um, Because that song is very much like, the lyrics are very much like move on to something, but also look at it as, yeah, like move on from something. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, and it's like move on not to the perfect picture at the end of the first act, move on to the next blank page, right, right. is essentially what's happening in that show,
0: mm-hmm. or what that
1: show says in the end.
0: Right, it does end with uh, that those lines of blank mm-hmm. page, white, a blank page, or canvas. Right. Yeah, it, it circles, it circles back to that. Yeah. I guess it, st- it starts, yeah, it starts. Right. Uh, right. So
1: I'm real. So I'm realizing the whole debate that that my husband and I had, you know, when we <laughs> saw the show in 2005, both of us kind of missed the point. The show is not about who was right and who was wrong at all. Right. <laughs> the show is about it actually doesn't matter. So many people set out to create art because they're looking for answers. Mm-hmm. And arguably the thing that every artist has to learn is that it's not about the answers. It's about the questions. Right. Like, that that is actually the gift, that is actually the gift that you've been given as as an artist.
0: You know, maybe if we want to look at successful musicals about artists that aren't just like, this is the artist's life or that are really about right. like artists going through the process of creating art and mm-hmm. uh, journeys of identity and all that, like mm-hmm. maybe the most successful ones are the ones that go on that journey. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about A Strange Loop which, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is a musical I would call a successful musical about an artist,
2: mm-hmm.
0: an artist's journey and yeah, I mean, he Usher comes to an understanding at the end. Of the show, but there's no there's no major resolution in terms of questions answered or right,
1: right. It's that right. I mean, I guess you could say that what happens to him. I mean, an interpretation of the show um, certainly is that by the end of the show, yes, I don't think he's resolved anything concretely in his life. Right. Right. I mean his his parents are not going to treat him any differently than they ever treated him before. Mm-hmm. um but i think that he is and and he is still in that loop right. right he is forever in that loop yeah but i feel like it's about i feel like it's ultimately about him starting to make friends with that loop
0: right, right? Well, and starting to
1: accept that that loop is always going to be there
0: yeah it's like and that last line which is uh so be- so beautifully set and sung you know what a what a strange loop like what mm-hmm. what like a strange thing i'm in like the the wonder of it you know mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting yes yes the appreciation of it mm-hmm. even as even with even as painful as it is right right the ability to look at that loop and say but it's the it's it's the continual continual living through this loop Right? I may I may never find the answer but every time I go through this loop I'm going to understand something more right And maybe that's all I can hope for. Maybe that's all any of us can hope for.
0: Maybe I don't need changing Maybe
3: I should regroup, Because change is just an illusion, just an, illusion. Just an illusion And I is just an illusion just an illusion just an illusion If thoughts are just an illusion. Just an illusion. Then what a strange, strange,
1: strange strange loop. Yeah, why is it that certain shows will try to use art as a metaphor, and it'll come across as being incredibly self-absorbed and shallow. And then another show will use art as a metaphor and speak to something, successfully speak to something that's that's uh, universal and larger than life, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think shows that art. I mean, Strange Loop is successful in that sense. Um, Jelly's last jam i think is enormously successful right using showbiz
2: mm.
1: and th- uh, you know music rather using music and jazz as a metaphor for um for our you know uh, 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 basically for america's um um relationship with race right right i mean obviously follies is very powerful in terms of using um uh looking at entertainment and seeing how seeing the death of um the death of a kind of american innocence through the filter of um through the filter of you know the history of of a certain kind of entertainment right, right? um dream girls i think dream girls is about it, you know is about the the rise of you know that particular group but really i think dream girls says a lot about um I mean in a weird way I guess Dream Girl s- speaks to some of the same um larger themes as Jelly's last jam right mm-hmm. in that it is in that it is about like we as a country want this kind of music but we want it to quote unquote look this way we don't want it to look that way right
0: yeah well it um, sounds like um it sounds like the ones that are successful are metaphors like using art and artists as metaphors for something larger
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some
0: larger theme some larger story about um our our country life you know i are mm-hmm. our, ourselves that brings brings the audience in more rather i mean what we said in the beginning like how do you not other the audience yeah like
1: well you know you're know, just to connect it with what we were saying like um one way to look at it is that the shows that are seem to really work, that are really powerful, are, are they tend to be the shows that um, that that encourage us as an audience to ask a question about mm. the art that we consume, right? right? And uh, like to ask a question about the nature of art, for example, like I'm thinking even something like, even a show like Funny Girl, you know, which I, I love, I think I love Funny Girl as a show and as a movie, um, but i think that what funny girl does is funny girl really asks us the question um how well do you know the stars that that you think you know right that that there is in fanny bryce there is the public self and there's the private self and right. the public self is this person that makes us laugh mm-hmm. right and the p- private self is not necessarily that and so you know the the piece is essentially presenting these these You know the 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 self that we don't know right the private self that we don't know so well Mm -hmm. and asking us to really consider um you know who is this person right? right like like what like what is the the source that we love the comedy but do we stop to think about what the source of the comedy is right right that the comedy has to has to be in contrast to something else but again it's asking a question it's not telling us The less successful shows, I would argue, are the shows that try to make a statement.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Meaning, you know, shows that say, this kind of music is better than that kind of music. Mm -hmm. Or shows that say, this is a great artist, and they were just misunderstood.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? Where they're trying to tell us how to feel. Right. Right? Or they're, they're, yeah, they're telling us how to feel about art. Maybe that's at the crux of, you know, what we're talking about. Right. The difference between shows that tell the audience what to think about art Mm -hmm. and artists and the shows that present what it is to be an artist or present art, some form of art and use it to ask some big question. Well, I guess it's what I said earlier, that the shows that seem to work are the ones that get us, are the ones that get us to ask the questions, the, the hard questions through looking at art. Mm-hmm. Through looking at the art that we are familiar with and the artists that we are or are not familiar with,
2: right. um, yeah. And
1: and it's interesting because as as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about um, you know the um, the uh, why is this so great um, mm. song that I picked right, yeah, <laughs> which is the I Rainbow know. Connection.
0: Yeah. Um, well, let's let's segue into into that song then yeah i was really excited you picked this song because Mm -hmm. um i i I love this song and like i'll go through periods where it's in my head constantly and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think about it a lot you know a lot and um yeah so i'm really excited to talk about so why did you pick this song for for why is this so good
1: um well, I love the song, right? <laughs> I, I think one of the reasons why I, I have a similar um, experience with the song that you have, I think, which is that um, I just go through these periods of time where all of a sudden I remember that the song exists yeah. and and then I obsessively listen to it over and over and over again, and I obsessively watch the beginning of the Muppet movie mm-hmm. and over and over and over again, right? And um, I think just on the base on a basic level, I think it's just one of these extraordinary. um, I just think it's one of these extraordinary moments. uh, Like uh, on film, you know, uh, um, I've. um, So I remember watching this movie in the movie theater. I was what year was it? 1979. So I was nine years old Mm -hmm. and I believe I don't think I'm screwing this up. I believe that I watched it on my birthday um, when I turned nine. Um, I remember this because. Uh, I hope my parents don't get angry with me for saying this. My parents love each other. They're wonderful parents. But they got into a horrible screaming fight on my birthday when Uh. I turned nine. And we had already made plans to go see the Muppet movie. And they got into this horrible fight. So we all went to the theater incredibly unhappy. Um, And I remember uh, sitting there and, you know, as, as I think a lot of kids when they see their parents fight for the first time in that way you know you worry that that your parents are going to break up or whatever right and so i was going into the theater with all of that um and i just i you know i remember sitting down and watching that movie and then that song happened <laughs> and i it was you know it was this incredibly um magical moment which made me forget all of that Yeah. Right. Um, And in a deep way, you know, it wasn't just that it was haha, funny, interesting, diverting, but that it touched something inside of me. Right. And so I've always remembered that. Again, it's it's if you if you if you look at the way that they get into the number, it's incredibly um, it's an incredibly surprising number. Like it, like if you see the movie for the very first time, or my experience watching it in the theater, because the way that the movie starts, the movie starts in a very like nineteen seventies you know way, where it's all the Muppets arriving for you know to 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 watch this movie, and it's you know a little corny the way that the Muppets are, and they're all getting ready for the screening, and there are a lot of corny jokes, and it's you know all the characters that you remember from the from the Muppet Show, um, and it's very funny, and then. Um, uh, and then Kermit's about to turn on the movie projector, and um, and so Robin says, "You know, Uncle Kermit, is this the way that the Muppets um, got their start?" And he says something like, "Well, sort of, more or less." <laughs> and the movie starts. You know, and then you have like you know the the, the sweeping you know view yeah. of the clouds and this big sort of Hollywood sound, and um, and it all seems like it's going to be like a like a cheesy you know, 1970s kids film. And then like the banjo starts and then the camera just starts swooping in closer and closer and closer. And it's like, like you're seeing the swamp and you can't even really make out Kermit. He's like a tiny part of that initially. And then the camera just zooms in closer and closer and closer. And then you just get this simple, beautiful song.
3: Why are there so many like it was kind of shocking
1: <laughs> you know shocking and surprising and like so even at nine incredibly moving. Are visions
3: but only illusions and rainbows have nothing to hide. Dreamers and me.
1: It humanized Kermit in a way, yeah. right? That was really kind of amazing. You know, that already you've got this, this puppet that's made of felt and, you know, and wires and like, you know, ping pong balls basically for his eyes. Um, and not only is, does he feel real, but it's like, he's suddenly like one of the deepest people that you know, right, right that you've ever seen. And just for people who have, who have uh, not read anything about you know, the recent relatively recent study of awe as emotion, an emotion, um, uh, scientists who are studying awe characterize it um, uh, as an emotion, they're still trying to figure out exactly what where they think it comes from, but the characteristics that they talk about are, number one, that um, it's an experience that makes you feel the immensity of the world and it, that it makes you feel tiny, right? That it makes you aware of how tiny you are in the world. And yet at the same time, that feeling of of diminishment comes with it, um, this need to connect with the people around you, right? Yeah. So that, So those are the two characteristics. And I think that in retrospect, that is exactly what I felt watching yeah, i Connection, was gonna say right?
0: that's that's the song i mean like let's look at the lyrics like yeah. like rainbow stars they're all these things that are like far away that you can't actually that you can see but you can't actually touch you know yeah
1: yeah and the amazing yeah right and one of the amazing things about this song uh, like i i uh i remember reading um something uh that uh Paul Williams had um, written or said about the song where where he was saying that they that he and Kenny Asher wrote the first part of the song um the first half of the first a you know which is um uh, why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side rainbows are visions but only illusions and, rainbow, and rainbows have nothing to hide and they were like okay so we've just written a lyric that debunks you know everything about the 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 the, the specialness of rainbows <laughs> you know we've essentially written the song right from the outset it says uh look rainbows are just you know basically are just um uh an illusion that that nature has created right, right? and thinking okay well we have no idea where that song comes next you know, where that song goes next um and then you know a day passes or or whatever and then the realization as they finish that a that the second half of the a was basically going to question all of the questioning right and it's interesting if you look at the lyric the lyric to each a basically does that like the first half of the lyric is always like what i would say is like the realistic um sobering view of rainbows and dreams mm-hmm. right and so right away, with each A, there is the acknowledgement.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: rainbows really are an illusion, right? Or the second A, which starts. Um, uh, how does that go? That goes. Um, who, said that who said that every wish is that that lyric? Mm-hmm. Right. If you read that lyric, who said that every wish would be heard and answered when wished on the morning star? Yeah. That's look, like that's like cynical, um, right?
0: Yeah. Look what it's done so far. Nothing. Right. Yeah.
1: Right.
3: Who said? That every wish would be heard and answered When wished on the morning star Somebody thought of that And someone believed it Look what it's done so far What's so amazing that keeps us stark and what do we think we might see? Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Right? Each time, the
1: second half of it then says, okay, I know all that. And yet, right? right. And yet, it doesn't stop me from looking at the rainbow and dreaming, right?
0: This was, yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. And so I think that that's one of the things, I mean, it's interesting how it connects to the thing that we were just, the revelation that we had about, about shows that successfully um, uh, integrate artists and the idea of art, right? Asking questions, like essentially the rainbow connection is not a song. It's not a song that tells us rainbows are special. Mm -hmm. It's a song that presents us with a question,
2: right?
1: We know, we know that this is all rainbows are. So given that, why is it that we still give it so much power, right? Why is it still, why is it that rainbows still have so much power in our lives? I guess I would put it that way, right? And it doesn't answer it. It just puts that question out to the universe.
0: Someday we'll find it. (laughs) Someday we'll figure it
1: out. Right. Someday we have no idea when, right? But someday we're going to find it um it's it's a remarkably deep song to introduce a movie that's about you know these these felt you know um uh puppets basically you know
0: can i tell you my favorite thing about yeah about the song is the Mm -hmm. strings The, Mm the the way the strings interplay with the melody if you just spend the time listening to it and just listen to the strings, yeah, time, it's it's different each time it plays yeah. with the, with the melody. And yeah. I just always think of it as like this, like that the strings are like the dream that he's kind of chasing or the question he's trying to answer. And like, mm-hmm. he's like looking, he like can't quite catch it because the strings like kind of dance around it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that melody. And then, like at the end, they sort of end together, and there are times mm-hmm. when like the strings cut out, maybe mm-hmm. like, at certain points too, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it like kind of ends together, which is yeah, like, just feels so satisfying. With if you're thinking about that that line in that way, yeah. that it's like this, like that's the act that to me like that's kind of like the action of the song is like the mm-hmm. play between Kermit's vocal line and what the strings are doing.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad. I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you talk about it because like really the strings, like there have been times when I've just listened to the recording over and over and over just to hear those strings.
2: Yeah.
1: And they, it's like they, you know and there are times when it just like makes me wanna cry because they're so beautiful, yeah. right? And there's so much of a sense of yearning. I mean, I guess that's the thing. I think about those strings and it's just, you just sense, you sense the enormity of, of what's inside of him.
0: Right. 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 There, it, it is, it does feel like that it's inside, like that's, that's like this, this layer of, of things that like maybe only. He can hear, you know,
1: mm-hmm, in
0: this mm-hmm. in a swamp and like.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. The interplay of that with how modest he is, like, like how right, like the way that he sings again is imperfect, right? It's like the beauty of those strings juxtaposed with his voice, which is a little bit, you know, not quite hitting the right notes all the time, right? <laughs> right. Um, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's really, really gorgeous, and just his modesty as as a character. <laughs>
3: been ever asleep and have you heard voices i've heard them calling my name is this the, the sweet, sweet sound, sound that calls the young, young sailors? sailors the voice might be one and the same
1: it's a song that's introducing his character and and you know i've heard Paul Williams described it as Kermit's, you know, I I am song or I want Mm -hmm. song. And it kind of is doing that work. But part of the beauty of it is it's not Kermit singing about how special he is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. It's not actually talking. The song doesn't even actually talk about what he wants. Right. It's actually capturing him. It's capturing him in a moment of awe. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that's kind of amazing about it when i think about it you know it like in as we're talking about it is that it's a moment which at the same time gives me a sense as a viewer of awe yeah while it captures him in a moment of awe right yeah and so it's like he it's like he and i are feeling the exact same things i mean it's that amazing thing when you watch right when you watch a moment where you're like it's not the character telling me about anything it he is experiencing exactly the thing that i am experiencing and i'm experiencing the exact same thing that he's experiencing in this moment
0: yeah i mean i always took it as if we're looking at it as the i want song that Mm he he wants to get out of the swamp but he, mm-hmm. without ever saying, "I want to get out of this swamp," it's mm-hmm. like he maybe he doesn't even know that he wants right. to get out of the swamp. He just has yeah. that feeling of like there's something larger out there for me. Yeah, yeah. Just, not even for me. There's just something larger out there. Right. And I hear these. I hear these voices,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I wonder what those are.
1: He would probably be fine just living in that swamp for his entire life. Yeah. You know, you don't get the sense that he has to leave or anything, but there is something in him that's untapped. Yeah. right. That he's not even aware of. He's asking the big questions, but in a weird way, he's not aware that he's asking the big questions, which kind of makes you love him even more <laughs> as a character. I don't think there is any version of it that's as good as that original version. Yeah. Um, and the original presentation of that song is so incredible. Yeah. Um,
0: well, as you said, like, I, I think it's so tied to the character and the, the mm-hmm. setting of the scene, the film, how it's filmed. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when you take that out, yeah, it's still it's still an amazing, great song, but mm-hmm. it something's lost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and it, And it's again, it's like a perfect example of what we're saying is the ideal, I think, in terms of writing right? That, that what you want to do is you want to be able to write about that hole that's inside of you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but you want to be able to, to make the audience feel that same hole inside of them, that your goal is ultimately to help the audience recognize that they have that hole inside of them as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that really the thing that we need to do is that we need to all recognize that in one another and we need to all move forward with that whole maybe just maybe if we can travel together you know those of us who share that whole can travel together maybe we'll find something at the end of that
2: yeah
1: right and that's exactly what the rainbow connection is and it's exactly what it does
3: someday we'll find it the rainbow connection the lovers The dreamers and me let's move on to our final section.
0: Something Where we just talk about uh or mention something that either we're excited about in the world of musical theater or mm-hmm. something uh we want to give a shout-out to.
1: That because I was able to, to teach, you know, because our program you know, was able to keep going. Yeah. Um, I feel like I was so lucky to see this new generation of artists. Um really embracing the limitations, you know, that COVID was placing on us and finding a way around them and finding a way to rethink what musical theater can be. A lot of them, you know, had to deal with video, right. A lot of them um, basically created, I mean, one of the, one of my advisees, advising teams were working on a musical um, uh, that they originally thought of as being, originally they were saying it was going to be an animated musical that was about the first uh, the title was the first mouse in manhattan so it was an animated musical about about a um a female mouse uh who decides and, and uh, this is taking place in in a um uh sort of unspecified past decade a female mouse that decides that she is going to come to new york to be a stand up comedian <laughs> at a time when no mice are, are stand up comedians um and so it was that journey and originally they intended it for to be animated.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then midway through the year, they had to do a presentation and they stumbled on the idea of just making their own puppets. And so mm-hmm. they started making their own puppets and filming these very low-fi you know, versions of the scene and started to realize, oh, this is what the piece, like they started thinking this is a stop stopgap measure, but then ended up realizing, oh no, this is maybe the piece, right? Yeah. Like maybe we are actually creating um, the first version of this piece, right? You know, with with these sort of hokey visuals and these, you know, cube of very simple puppets, and that was thrilling to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Or other um, other writers who were playing with um, with audio drama in a completely new way. There was another um, uh, uh, set of writers that um, uh, that was in my advisee group um that worked on an extraordinary piece um, and are still working on it called echolocation i think it's the latest um uh, title and um it's an audio drama and it is um the story is about a road trip that two uh high school students take uh one of whom um is visually impaired um and one of whom is um basically like a high school jock. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they sneak away for a weekend um, and take this road trip from Las Vegas to uh, to Yellowstone. And what the piece explores is that, that the character who is visually impaired also comes from a very wealthy family. And the character who is the high school jock, uh, he comes from a low-income family. And so the piece is exploring their relationship with each other as they make this road trip and starts to ask all these questions about privilege. It was one of the, the first examples of an audio drama where it really, that I'd encountered where I really felt this has to be an audio drama. You actually couldn't do this Mm -hmm. as a stage piece um, and have it mean quite the same thing. And, and those are just two out of, you know, out of a whole class full of projects that were just Wow. Pushing the envelope, and pushing so the thing that I'm just yeah the thing that I'm just really hoping is mm-hmm. that even as the world starts to open up again that that um, that this generate new generation of writers doesn't forget um, doesn't forget you know that adventurous spirit right but also that they don't forget that they are completely capable of creating this work yeah under the worst possible circumstances <laughs> you know. And, and that they don't necessarily need, they don't need a producer to sweep in with millions of dollars for them to see their work realized.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater. We'll answer your questions on our season finale. Please also email if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by taking a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at SceneSong, and on Facebook at Scene2Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.